Joining me now is a special player who was drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays in the 15th round, 459th overall in the Major League Baseball draft. He's a first baseman, a designated hitter, and it's my pleasure to have Ryan Note on the show today. Ryan, thank you for joining the Jays Journal podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I appreciate you having me. Um, you know, it's been a fun month uh, since the draft, so... No doubt, no doubt. You know, Ryan, I looked it up, and you're the third Grant graduate in four years to be picked up in the MLB draft. What does it mean to you to be part of a school or a community as you climb up the baseball ladder towards the major leagues? Tell my listeners something about your journey towards the, the, the vaunted perch of, of being at the highest level that will make them appreciate how incredibly difficult and rare it is to be drafted in professional baseball today. Oh, yeah, it's a... Uh... It's very rare. Um, you know, I come from a small town in Illinois, and, uh, you know, um, I'm very fortunate enough to get the opportunity to, you know, journey on to Cincinnati and then uh, have another opportunity to play uh, professional baseball. Um, it's always been a dream. Now, I noticed that you started all 56 games, I believe, in 2015 and 2016 for the Cincinnati Bearcats. As I kind of look deeper into some of the great things you did over the last few years, it seemed to me like you demonstrated improved plate control, uh, an increased walk rate, you know, the kinds of success that ultimately gets you noticed by the Toronto Blue Jays. How did it feel to be drafted by them in particular, and what does it mean to you to be part of the only Canadian Major League Baseball club? Uh, it means a lot. Um, you know, growing up, uh, I always watched baseball and, uh, you know, I was a White Sox fan, um, but fortunately mm. enough that the Toronto Blue Jays uh, selected me and uh, couldn't be more grateful. Um, it's a great opportunity to, uh, you know, hopefully one day uh, get to go to Toronto and uh, make it my home. Are you uh, familiar with the uh, Blue Jays' history and their players? Is there is there anything that sticks out in your mind about this franchise in particular? Um, nothing too much. Um, uh, like I said, uh, you know, growing up as a White Sox fan, I didn't really catch a lot more um, other teams. But, uh, you know, uh, next year or so, I'm going to probably look at my history on the organization and uh, see what's special about it. Well, I'll tell you this. When you find the time to do that, you'll notice that there were some really times early on, uh, a couple of years where some pretty magnificent things happened in our city, and then there was like a two-decade stretch of stuff that probably we should never speak about, really. That's what it comes down to, in a nutshell. Um, I'm speaking with Ryan Noda, hopefully future Blue Jay, and selected this year in the 2017 Major League Baseball Draft. Ryan, do you have a, a formula or a recipe that you subscribe to, which allows you to keep improving as a baseball player continuously, and I'm wondering what advice you might offer to other aspiring baseball players who look at your success and say, man, I would love to be noticed by Major League Baseball Club because I think I have what it takes. Uh, yeah, um, you know, you just got to have fun. Um, we're playing a kid's game uh, for a job right now. And uh, for all the kids out there, uh, mm-hmm. just keep having fun, um, no matter how good or how bad you do. Um, you just got to remember it's a game. Um, it's something you do to relax and get away from the real life. Now, you mentioned being a kid. At one point, being a kid, you were a big White Sox fan. Were there any White Sox players that com- that maybe you followed that really influenced the way you play? My favorite player growing up was Paul Kernico. 
Yep, throughout my whole childhood, I wore number 14 for him. Boy, he so, was a tough one, wasn't he? He was a tough one yeah. all the time, I remember. I kind of, in the box, I kind of try to resemble how hard it was to get him out and how um, good of a teammate he was and how good a team at bats he had all the time. So that's one thing I kind of pride myself in is um, having good team at bats and you know doing everything I can for the team uh, so we can win. Was there a moment in your mind as you were improving yourself, becoming more disciplined, that you knew that a major league team would take interest in you and, and get you to be part of their organization? Was there maybe a, that, that moment where something clicked and you said, I'm going to make it? Yes. Throughout the years at Cincinnati, um, you know, I kept getting better, uh, smarter player. I'm a pretty good athlete, so that kind of helps. So I can move around in the field, play outfield, play first. Of course, DH, because, you know, hitting's the fun part. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, I think it was probably sophomore year. I realized that I had a pretty good chance of, you know, making my dreams come true. If the club were to come to you today and say, we want to define a position for you, what are your thoughts on being a designated hitter? I mean, it seems to me like that's something that is usually decided after a player gets to the big club and they figure out where they want to use him. Um, do you have any preference on whether you're a position player in the field or one who just simply gets called up to be known as that exclusive designated hitter? Well, I pride myself in defense. I'm pretty good at uh, what I do over there at first base and in the outfield. So I feel like I can help the team a lot more by uh, being a fielder, uh, being a first baseman, um, maybe being an outfielder too. Um, but whatever it takes to get up to the big club, I'll take a DH uh, for a year if it has mm-hmm. to be. You know, I feel like I can help the program and uh, organization out uh, by being in the field. Now, you mentioned you're a, a good athlete. Tell me about some of the sports that you took that maybe helped influence you in deciding on baseball as a career and that we can see in watching you play had something that you can attribute to in your past. What kind of what kind of sports did you involve yourself with besides baseball? I played ice hockey, basketball, soccer, football, baseball. So growing up, I was a pretty much all-around athlete. I really think that ice hockey and basketball really helped pave the way to the athleticism that I have, being able to skate and also handle the stick um, is pretty pretty difficult, um, but uh, basketball has helped with agility and uh, the quickness of first steps, so I think uh, those two sports really helped uh, create uh, who I am. And Ryan, you do know you just endeared yourself to my Canadian listeners in ways that are simply unimaginable. I mean, if you're going to extol the virtues of ice hockey and basketball, how do you feel about Toronto? How do you feel about this market, knowing that you just mentioned three sports that are on the up and up, that are are on everyone's mind here in the fourth largest market in North America? It must be exciting for you to know that Toronto is very unique in that way. Yeah, um, you know, I'm a big hockey fan, uh, big basketball fan too, so, uh, you know, when I get up to Toronto, um, hopefully I'm going to go and be able to catch a couple of games. That's another exciting part about um, being in this organization. Now, I'm looking here and I see that um, about two months ago, you launched a home run off the roof of the Fifth Third Arena. Is 
is power a natural part of your game, Ryan, or is it something that now you're maybe deliberately focusing on to be able to distinguish yourself from other first basemen that you come up against in, in, in the league? Uh, I'd have to say power is kind of a natural thing for myself. Um, you know, growing up, I've always had um, a lot of power. And uh, I think what sets me aside from all the other first basemen is uh, my situational hitting and uh, the way I can put the ball in play a lot. Ryan, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the show. I know you have to play some baseball later tonight. I can tell you that my listeners and followers will be watching you closer and rooting for your progress and success at the highest level of baseball possible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Eric. Joining me tonight is a two-sport athlete who started his life in Dayton, Ohio, and had to overcome much adversity before embracing a love for baseball with Grambling State University in Louisiana. Diamond Hall is on the show. Diamond, thank you for taking the time to join me. Thank you. Thank you. Diamond, let my audience appreciate exactly what you went through after being ranked in the top 50 running backs across the whole of the U.S. and how a career-ending injury changed your perspective on life and made you consider baseball instead of football. Um, Well, I started my, my freshman year. I was, like you said, the top, one of the top 50 running backs in the country. Um, <clears throat> and from there, you know, it, it was a, there was a certain player where I dove head first for a loose fumble. <clears throat> and I was temporarily paralyzed from my neck down um, oh. after, that, after, that, after that hit and uh, started going to different doctors. And it ended up being that um, I had congenital stenosis. So the doctor didn't claim me to play basketball or football anymore. Um, so I started playing baseball and me being the competitive athlete that I was, you know, I wanted to be the best at whatever it was that I was doing. So, you know, I told myself that I want to be the best baseball player that I can possibly be if I do this. And, um, I ended up getting to the D1 level, long story short, and, um, found myself playing against LSU's, Ole Miss's, Arkansas's, uh, playing on MLB Network, going five for five. Uh, really, really found myself in a, in a place that, you know, different coaches and, and, and people in the baseball world told me that I would never be able to get to. And um, I think that came from me shooting for the moon and, and missing, but at the same time being amongst the stars. Um, with that meaning that when I first started playing baseball, I set my goals high for myself. And I missed. I didn't reach my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal was to become, you know, one of the best players to ever play the game. But – if I would have set my goals any shorter, um, any lower, I might not have got to where I, to where I ended up getting. So that's a little bit of background on, on that story. That's, uh, that's the kind of story that I'm sure when you tell in passing is uh, about as uh, succinct a synopsis as you can offer without really getting into more details because that's an astonishing tale of perseverance. I would have imagined that when you received your diagnosis and you were at the the lowest possible point, the last thing on your mind was ever considering being an athlete anymore, I would imagine. Absolutely. It was, uh, those were a tough, that was, that was a tough time period for me. It really, uh, you know, I was young, so I had to, it, it, it kind of forced me to mature a little bit quicker than, than most, most of my peers. And um, in doing that, I think that, that it, it ultimately helped me with everything in life. Um, as far as, you know, my leadership skills, as far as, you know, my motivation, as far as me being able to facilitate things to my teammates in, in different ways, 
and being able to understand people more, being able to um, connect with people when they have when they have certain issues, um, because I know what it's like to be in that place and in that you know in that in that world where everything feels like it's just you know um, out of sync. And from there, you know that was my lowest point. So from there, everything went up. And hmm. it was definitely a tough time. So, but I learned a lot, learned a lot from it, and um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything done differently. From a baseball perspective, were you always someone who was intrigued with baseball as a, as a young boy, and simply found yourself in a position where, as you became older, it was a sport that you wanted to invest more time and both financial and emotional investment into? Uh, actually, <laughs> before before I started playing baseball, when I played football. You know, I was kind of one of those people looking from the outside in. Oh, you know, baseball is boring. It's that other thing. But, you know, as I started playing, I learned to love the game because this game is a – it's a game – it's the closest game that can that you can call a game uh, of life because it teaches you life lessons through playing. And I don't think that – now, other sports do as well, but baseball, you know, you have to handle adversity. You have to – you have to understand how to harness that, that, that negative energy and that frustration and use it in a positive way. You have to understand how to keep your composure. You have to, you have to understand how to, you know, how to relax, when to relax, when to breathe, when to take a step back from the game, when to, when to go back playing. It's a, it's a very um, dynamic sport when it comes to teaching life lessons. And, of course, I'd be remiss, Diamond, if I didn't mention one of my personal inspirations growing up in baseball perhaps the definitive two-sport athlete who found an unbelievable level of success in baseball. Of course, I'm talking about Bo Jackson. What were your thoughts about players in baseball who were extremely successful in football and somehow managed to steal the spotlight and focus it firmly on Major League Baseball? Well, I think that, uh, to keep it simple, I mean, Bo Jackson is one of the best athletes of all time. Um, mm-hmm. him, him being able to, to use his physical abilities in the game of baseball, baseball is a mental game. I mean, we've all heard that you know, the game is 90% mental, 10% physical, and I think that's true. When you put so when you put Bo Jackson's um, physical capabilities with with those mental talents that you need in order to succeed in baseball, that's when you that's when you get one of the best players to ever play the game. Um, unfortunately, he had a you know he had a career in the injury as well. <clears throat> that kind of put him on the um, in a, in a in a bad position in a tough position where you had to kind of you know take a step away from the sport. But you know I personally think when you have some of the best athletes and and you put the, those athletes with the best mental skills possible, a ten out of ten as far as mental toughness, that's when you get the best baseball players. And he certainly put that on display night after night with a certain level of instinct, spontaneity, and speed that you just don't even see in today's game. I mean, Bo Jackson was the standard bearer of what it means to use football skills in the context of baseball and put baseball on its head. Why don't we see more of that anymore? Is it simply because of barriers for the opportunity to pursue multiple sports or just a matter of families that are choosing the option for their children and hoping that they mesh with it? Um, I think that, you know, a lot of athletes are, uh, elite-level athletes are are veering towards, um, you know, basketball, football. Unfortunately, not realizing that there are actually a lot more opportunities to play at the next level when it comes to baseball, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's just the way you know society has shaped shaped things in, in, in a way. Um, 
also, you know, baseball is a, it's kind of an expensive game when you compare it to football where all you have to have is a football. Uh, basketball, you have to have is a basketball. In baseball, you know, you have to have a bat. You have to have uh, batting gloves. You have to have uh, a catching glove, um, mm-hmm. cleats. Um, so it's, a, it's definitely a, a much more expensive sport that gears towards um, a certain a certain crowd, so to say. No, I understand you're also a psychology major, which is really impressive, and that you've been accepted into a, a sports psychology master's program. What inspired you to, to do that? And ultimately, what are you hoping it will provide when it comes to your perspective on baseball and football? Throughout my career, even when I was playing football, I knew that what separated me from other athletes was, um, you know, the middle part of the game, the middle toughness, mm-hmm. being able to, uh, you know, stay composed in pressure situations, being able to, to to step back and take a deep breath to relax when I feel like I'm getting too tired or too tense. Um, and I was in football and, and baseball. And through, so throughout that time I was playing, the uh, first book that I read was called uh, Heads Up Baseball by Kendra Visit. <clears throat> and that took my game to another level as far as baseball goes. And, you know, throughout my career, uh, me being able to um, to give other guys this knowledge and see them being able to um, to take the things that were in that book and lift their career higher, lift lift their mental game higher, um, which ultimately led to, to, you know, higher performance on the field. I think that that's, for me, that's more fulfilling than playing for myself. Um you know, a lot of people have told me, you know, you should keep playing, um, you know, take those free agency contracts, you know, sign independent ball. But um, this summer I got a taste of coaching and being able to actually affect these guys' lives in a positive way day after day, day after day. Um, for me, this is more fulfilling. And I think that um, being able to have this opportunity to to learn early about how important your mental skills are when it comes to when it comes to sports. Um, was a blessing. That's really admirable for so many reasons, especially since I have more and more exposure to guests on the show who understand what the value of sports psychology really is about when it comes to not only athletes who are dealing with the challenges, the grueling challenges of being in the in the limelight, but also those who need that mental toughness going forward during difficult and adverse times. Uh, Todd Stottlemyre, as you know, former pitcher, talked about that. Dr. Christina Real has been on the show to talk about that when Roberto Asuna was facing some adversity. So to hear that tells me that you really are very, very self-aware, and it's encouraging to hear that by understanding that at an early stage in life, it can only help you with some of the challenges I would imagine that you foresee in the days to come. I think that especially for the younger generation, um, the 12 and up, they can definitely benefit from um, from mental mental skills training, from anything of that nature because it puts them ahead of their peers and it, it kind of brings out the maturity that they're going to need later on in their, in their sports careers. So I definitely think that is beneficial in, in every aspect, in every way when it comes to sports and life. So Diamond, what is next for you on the horizon and what should my listening audience know about you and some of your projects moving forward? Um, I'm going to be getting my master's here in sports psychology at John F. Kennedy University. Um, I just got accepted, so I'm going to be starting my first quarter this upcoming fall. And then I just got brought on the staff at Wright State University for the baseball team. Um, so the goal with them is to be able to 
bring what I have to the table and help these guys get a championship at the end of the day, multiple championships. Um, and, and right now our, our team is pretty is pretty pretty set in stone. We have a lot of physical guys, um, a lot of guys who are, who are pretty dominant on the mound and at the plate. So being able to bring in the consistent <clears> – <throat> the consistent um, teaching of, you know, heads-up baseball or any any kind of books on the mental game um, through things that I've done and, and my experiences, being able to kind of, you know, um, facilitate to these guys how important it is and them buying in, I think, will definitely um, take us to another level. And last year they were already they were already great, but this year the goal is to be unstoppable. Um, so as far as that goes, that's, that's where I'm at in – um, I'm also coaching this summer with a 17U baseball team called the Dayton Classics. Um, I'm an assistant coach, hitting coach, and, and we do a little bit of middle game stuff here and there. And these guys are also, they're, they're buying in already. Um, they're playing in 18U tournaments and, and, you know, making it to the finals. We actually won an 18U tournament a few weeks ago. That was a pretty, pretty, pretty big tournament. And Very these good. guys are growing and they're learning. And it's just an unbelievable feeling to have when you know that it's affecting these guys in a positive way. Um, so I'm going to continue doing this, and we're going to see what happens from there. His name is Diamond Hall. You can find him on Twitter at Diamond Hall. Really appreciate you taking the time today, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show very soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. My next guest has been a freelance writer covering a variety of sports for over a decade. He's a reporter for Metroland Media and has been featured in the Globe and Mail, Vice Sports, Fightland, and Sportsnet. Sean W. Smith is on the show. Sean, thanks for coming on. Thanks very much for having me. I look forward to this. Well, likewise, and I know we went back and forth for a while, but we finally managed to uh, find our schedules for worth. Um Sean, these are dark and trying times for the Jays, as you know, uh, especially if you enjoy listening to social media chatter and all that white noise. There's still a lot of season left. I want to get your take, your thoughts on this team and your opinion about how fans react to the ebb and flow of what has amounted to a very ridiculously long baseball season. I find that the baseball fans are really um, obviously passionate about the sport, but, but Jays fans, I think for the most part, are trying to keep their hopes up. That's what that's what I'm kind of seeing on Twitter is that people are, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic that, that maybe this team can turn it around. But but at the same time, you know, in the last few weeks, I think that's really started to fade. I really thought, uh, you know, it, at least until the beginning of July, that, that maybe this team would find a way. But as these injuries continue to mount and the team continues to struggle, we're not getting the offense we need. Um, you know, it's looking less and less likely that we're going to be able to make that push for the playoffs. And uh, we're in that awkward spot now where – you know, the Liriano and Estrada, those guys that you thought maybe the team would deal to, mm. to get better in the future. They've just been so poor lately. There's really no trade market for those guys. That's true. And, I mean, it's created a, a significant challenge for a front office that can't seem to get the right signals. And what I'm at is look at this series with Boston, which they just split. Uh, it's really a tale of two teams, isn't it? When they they win like a team that can play good defensively, uh, effective uh, clutch hitting when they need it, and timely pitching uh, moments. But when they play, it's about as lopsided and demoralizing as it gets. What do you attribute that? I, I think that's a good question. I, I, I wonder the same thing. I mean, what what is it about this team where, you know, one game they can come out and they can put up a really solid effort and then, um, 
you know, show that, that defensive skill, as you mentioned. I thought this last game against Boston, uh, we saw some really good plays from uh, Gones, and we saw Batista yeah. make some really good plays. Um, you know, the, the team looked really sharp in that final game against Boston. Um, and then there's other games where they get blown out 12-1, and they just look a little bit heartless out there. So I, I think we're looking at a team that maybe – Maybe he's having a little bit of, uh, you know, momentum problems. And I, I think, you know, maybe they, they're starting to believe that, that maybe they can't make the playoffs. That's, that's the feeling I get in some of these games, uh, especially over the last week, week and a half, where we've seen the blowouts against Houston, even Detroit, which is not, not a great team to be getting blown out by. So I, I think we're starting to see a team that, that is maybe giving up faith and giving up hope that, that they can get to the playoffs. And yet still being dragged tooth and nail by certain individuals in that locker room who clearly have a desire to win and are some unlikely heroes this year. I mean, who would have imagined that Justin Smoke in particular would be the go-to focal point of, of the fans' adoration of this team? How surreal is that for you? It's insane. I mean, I think a lot of people were, were a little bit upset when, when he got re-signed, um, and, and now we're seeing him really be the leader of this team. Like you mentioned, uh, he, was, he was in that final game against Boston again, so, um, you know, I, I, it just, it's just going to be interesting to see if he can keep that up moving forward. Um, you know, we saw Michael Sanders, Saunders have that, that really great first half last season. Uh, Smoke seems to be keeping it up into the second half, which is a really good sign. If this team is going to make a push towards the playoffs, they're going to need his bat uh, really to be roaring. So, uh, you know, hopefully for this year and, and years moving forward, he can continue to, you know, show that productivity we're seeing this year that maybe we didn't see in the years before. Sean, as a prolific writer on all things baseball, hockey, and and some of the other sports you've covered, I'm wondering what inspires you to come up with your material, knowing the kind of journalistic standards that exist that are based on social media clickbaiting and basically attracting people's attention, not based on skill or merit, but more along the lines of what's sensationalistic. How How do you come up with original material that way? Yeah, I think I think it's really difficult, but I also think it's one of the most important things about sports journalism today. You know, whenever I, I talk with a student and they're like, they're asking me, you know, what do I need to do to kind of get into, uh, you know, being a prolific a prolific sports writer? And I always mm-hmm. tell them that it's about being unique and trying to produce content that that people can't get anywhere else. And I, I think that's such an important thing. You know, if you're going out there and you're writing the same news article that that anyone else can write, you're not going to stand out from the pack. So if, if you, even if you've got your own blog and you're able to produce content, whether you're using stats or videos or, or whatever it is that, that maybe there's, you know, someone else is not producing in the workspace, I think that's really important. And I, I think we see that a lot um, on Twitter and social media. Well, and, and you, you started to cover what essentially was my next question, which is what would be the Sean W. Smith gospel or mantra the advice that you would give to struggling authors and journalists who are maybe looking to distinguish themselves from this modern-day rat race? Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's really hard these days to just be an author or just be a writer. You really need to be able to do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I, I work for Metroland Media. I have to be able to take photos. I have to be able to do video uh, from time to time, not as much. Um, it, it's, just, it's not about being a single thing anymore. You can't just be a writer or just be an author, or very few people can. You have to be able to have a podcast or be able to take photos or whatever it else, whatever else it is. So really, I think it's about differentiating your skills and being unique and just reading, um, 
reading a lot. I, that's what I tell people too, is that you really need to read a little bit of everything. If, if all you, if you cover the Blue Jays and all you read is Blue Jays coverage, you're really missing out. You need to be reading fiction and nonfiction and sci-fi and whatever else it is out there, because you can pick up things that you can use in your sports writing, even if it's something completely not related to sports. What's your favorite book, piece of, of fiction that you enjoyed growing up that you read maybe when you were in school? Um, I really loved Catcher in the Rye when I read it in high school. And there's a book by uh, an author named Mariel Spark called Loitering with Intent. And she just writes with such a, a fantastic, interesting voice. And I like to think that I've, I've tried to add some of that to my writing. Well, and my, my guess was going to be either To Kill a Mockingbird or 1984. But you, you answered in a manner that, that I, I'm impressed with because I can't remember the last time someone even mentioned Catcher in the Rye to me. I guess it goes to your point that this is where taking the time to read and broaden your horizons could actually inspire you to be a unique and different journalist than what many people are today. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know a lot of the classics, a lot of the, the classic rules of journalism still apply or should apply. Um, and I, I think it's really important to, to go back and read those classics, you know. I, I read a lot of Gay Talese and a lot of those, um, you know, those long-form journalists from the 60s and 70s. That's kind of what I think is like the golden age of a lot of the sports writing. So I, I think, you know, even if you go back and read a lot of that, the Roger, Roger Angel stuff, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that stuff is still so classic and still applies to today's writing, I think. Sean, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. Tell my listeners uh, what you're up to these days, where they can, can find your work and what they should maybe know you have uh, as a project on the horizon? Yeah, I would say that I don't have any uh, significant project on the horizon, but I'm always freelancing and, and working for Metroland Media. You can follow my work and my Jay's tweets at uh, Sean, S-H-A-W-N underscore W underscore Smith on Twitter. His name is Sean W. Smith. Be sure to follow him and look for all of his articles and opinion pieces across all aspects of social media. Sean, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.